Good evening, Mercy Culture Waco. Come on, what a beautiful night in the presence of the Lord we've already had. My name is Les, and I'm the lead pastor here at Mercy Culture Waco. It is such an honor and a privilege to have you guys here tonight. The vision of Mercy Culture Church is to take people from corporate encounters with God to daily personal encounters with God. And what that means is that we don't just have a church so that we can encounter God like we just did, but how incredible was that? It's awesome to encounter the presence of the Lord together, but we believe that you can encounter the presence of God every single day, just like we did corporately, that you can have that type of relationship with the Lord in your car, in your home, those of you that are moms and dads out there in your closet with little fingers sticking underneath the closet doors going, I want a snack, right? It's a little more difficult, but you can still encounter God in your closet. And we help you to determine how you best connect with God through a process that we call MC Connect. And MC Connect isn't only the way that you become a member of Mercy Culture Church. It's really the way that we disciple people because we believe that there is one way to God, and that is through Jesus Christ. But through Jesus, there are many ways to connect with God. And what that means is that in the past, I believe the church has sometimes done a disservice to God's people and that we have sort of implied that you have to connect with God the way the pastor connects with God or you have to connect with God the way the worship leader connects with God. And if you connect with the Lord in a different way, somehow you're out of joint, you're out of balance. But that's not true. Some of you connect with God through nature. Some of you connect with God through solitude and some through, through expression. There are many ways to connect with the Lord. In MC Connect, we will help you discover how you best connect with the Lord. We'll watch a few videos. It's all online. You watch a few videos. You learn about the vision, the values, the unique characteristics, and the leadership standards of Mercy Culture Church. You hear the story of how Mercy Culture was founded. You hear more about Mercy Culture Waco, and then we help you determine your best way to connect with the Lord and develop for you a daily encounter guide to walk you step by step how you can encounter the Lord every day. Then there's my favorite part of the process. You get an MC Connect appointment. How many of you have been through MC Connect already? Come on, there we go. Listen, these MC Connect appointments, it's not like, here, sign this paper, you know, do you pledge? No. We, we place people that have a prophetic gift on their life. They serve as connectors. When you sit down at an MC Connect appointment, somebody has been praying for you. And if you're married for you and your spouse together, and they come prepared to give you a word from the Lord, and they pray over you. And I've told this story before, but I went to my MC Connect appointment thinking, you know, I'm a pastor. Been doing this for a while. This will be nice. We'll see what happens. 30 seconds in, I'm snotting. I'm cr- I've got the ugly cry. Like God just wrecked me in that MC Connect appointment. And I want to encourage you, uh, don't be a visitor for too long. Come on, when you hear the voice of the Lord, take that step. You can just text the word CONNECT to 59090 and get started on that process. But I am so excited tonight. I see the looks on your face. Nobody wants to hear me tonight. I understand. I know. You came to hear one of my very best friends in the world. It is, it is uh, surreal that we get to do ministry together after 17 years of friendship. My wife and I with her and Pastor Landon, our senior pastor, the founder of Mercy Culture Church, and one of the greatest Christians I've ever had the privilege of knowing, Pastor Heather Shaw. Come on, let's stand to our feet and honor her tonight. 
Come on, can you give it, give it up 10 times louder for Jesus? Come on. How good is he? How good has he been to you? Jesus, you are so good. We give you all of the glory, all of the honor, all of the praise. You are so worthy, King Jesus. We just declare even now that Waco is yours. Mercy culture, Waco is yours. We are your people. We are your sons and daughters. And Lord, we thank you that tonight we have come with great expectation of what you are doing in your city, Waco. We thank you that Waco is not HGTVs. We thank you, Lord, that this city is not a celebrity city. But Jesus, we thank you that Waco is yours and that your name will be made famous in Waco, Texas. I declare that Waco, Texas will be known as a city that people fly from all around the world for miracles, signs, and wonders. Father, I thank you that healing wells and waters are in this city, and I declare from the nations will come to Waco, Texas to get a feel, to get a touch of your glory and of your presence. Lord, I thank you that this will be a place that people will come and be refreshed even tonight as your sons and daughters have come to a tent, Lord. I thank you that they have come to be refreshed. I declare that even your river, that does not stop, but flows with life. Tonight touches those that came that needed a refreshing, that needed healing, that needed to hear your voice, that needed hope, that needed faith, that needs miracles. Father, I declare that they have come to the right place. Not to hear from a man or from a woman, but I declare that they would know that tonight when they are touched by heaven, when they hear your voice, when healing takes place in their body, when freedom comes over their mind and their spirit, they know that they came to, met, to meet with the greatest king, the greatest king that ever walked the earth. The king that created it all, the Alpha and the Omega. So Lord, we thank you that your presence is here. We honor your holy name. Lord, we declare would you do what only you can do tonight in our lives. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Mm, what a beautiful presence here tonight. Don't be shocked that a woman can roar and preach, okay? Don't be shocked. Just hear from him tonight, okay? Um, my name is Heather Schott. And we are the senior pastors of Mercy Culture Church. And I am so excited to be with you tonight. And I just first want to say to you tonight that you are a dream fulfilled. Those of you that are sitting in this room right now are sitting in the fruit of prophetic words from years and years and decades. You're a dream fulfilled because you were in Pastor Les and Pastor Nikki's hearts years and years ago. And then a seed of a dream that was planted in Landon's and I years ago. There's a prophet from Snohomish, Washington that said, I see the fire and the power of God going uh, from Fort Worth into a city with, with the first letter of being W. You are sitting in the fruit of not the work of man but the heart of your heavenly father that has brought you to this place for such a time as this. 
So what an honor to come before you tonight to get to speak because I know that God has called you to be a part of this body because of his heart of what he's gonna do in Waco. There is revival and reform that is coming that Waco has never seen quite like what is about to pour out and we get to be a part of that. Do you believe it? If you don't believe it now, I promise you, you're gonna believe it by the end of the message tonight. Are you ready to go on this journey with me tonight? Okay, so your pastor started off last week, Pastor Les, in um, the, the, first, the first week of a new series that we are in, in um, the gifts of the spirit expanding territory. So everybody knows that 2020 year, the Lord declared is the year of expanding territory. We get this out of first Chronicles 410, where we are praying this every single day over our house, households. And it says this, that Jabez called upon the God of Israel saying, oh, that you would bless me indeed and that you would enlarge or expand my territory and that your hand might be with me and that you would keep me from harm and evil so that it might not bring me pain. And my favorite part says this, and God granted what he asked. And so this year we are believing that God is expanding our personal, our spiritual and kingdom territory. And in the, se in the series that we are entering, uh, you expand spiritual territory through the gifts of the Spirit. What are the gifts of the Spirit? The gifts of the Spirit are found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4 through 7. And it is these, wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, discerning between the spirits, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. The five W's of the gift of the spirit is this. Who are they for? They're for everybody. Come on, all of the gifts is for everybody in the room here tonight. Everyone, it is God's heart that everybody operates in all of the gifts of the Spirit. What are the gifts of the Spirit for? They're spiritual tools to advance the kingdom or to expand territory. And where are the gifts from? They're from God. When were we given these gifts? It was after Jesus ascended. It was the day of Pentecost. And why are they important? because it's the power to expand territory. So tonight I am ministering on the spiritual gift of faith. Come to tell you tonight that the gift of faith expands territory and faith is the only gift that activates all of the gifts. Will you pray with me tonight? So Holy Spirit, we just thank you that you are in this place tonight. Holy Spirit, we thank you not just for a visitation, but inhabitation, that you would inhabit us, that we would not just experience you, but that we would be carriers of your holy presence. So Father, tonight we just submit our minds, we submit our hearts, we submit our thoughts, we submit our opinions, we submit our ways, and we submit it all to you the highest way. King Jesus, we ask would your will be done in and through us. We declare as Samuel prayed, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Come on, body of Christ. Can you pray that? Speak, Lord. Come on, try it again. Speak, Lord. Yes, we declare, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. So, Father, as we 
even ask you to speak to us, Lord. We declare that we would not just be hearers of your word, but that we would be doers of your word so that we would be obedient bondservants to your ways and your will. We glorify you, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so we find out what faith really is in Hebrews 11.1, 1, and this is how it defines faith. It's titled this, by faith. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Verse two, for by it the people of old received their commendation, or means this, received their good reputation. Verse three, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And the message translation says verse one this way. The fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. I love that. It's our handle on what we cannot see. And it says this, that the act of faith is distinguished is what distinguished our ancestors and set them above the crowd. I'm gonna come back to this statement when it says the act of faith. So remember that, the act of faith. And it says that it is what distinguished our ancestors or set them above the crowd. And so you just saw the marked video and where we got this word marked is out of Ezekiel 9 because in Ezekiel 9 it says when the death angel came to destroy and bring judgment on the city that this death angel angel um, got basically its commands from the Lord to go and first mark the foreheads of every single person to save, to distinguish, to set them apart from the rest of those who cried out and lamented for their nation's sins. So in an act of faith or in a deed the people that cried out and lamented for the sins of the nation, recognize this, that it did not say those that attended the church the most. It did not say those that believed in Jesus. It said those that were actually acting out their faith by crying out and lamenting for the sins of their nation is what set them apart or distinguished them. So I've come to teach you tonight that there are two parts of faith. And a lot of us as Christians, we stop at step one. Step one is this. It is belief that we believe in God or that we believe in Jesus. This is good. This is foundational, but this is not all what faith is. And this is where most Christians stop in their faith is say, I believe in Jesus. I'm good. I'm going to make eternity. But this is what James warns us in James chapter 2, verse 19. He says this, you believe that God is one. Good for you. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. James is saying, if you want to be set apart from even the demons, your faith cannot stop at just believing in Jesus because even the demons in hell believe in him. So he's pushing and urging Christians and believers to say that is just the beginning. But then step two of our faith is this, that we move on from believing in Jesus to trusting in Jesus. 
Trusting is saying, Lord, when it makes no sense. God, when it is sacrificing something that is dear, that is valuable to me. God, when it is selling everything I own to move. God, when it is hard, when it tests me, when everybody around me is saying, don't do that, but you're the voice that says move forward. It means God, now I am actually activating, I am acting in faith because I trust you. James continues with saying this in verse 14 through 17. What good is it, my brothers, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you tells him, go in peace, stay warm and be well fed, but does not provide for his physical needs, what good is that? So to faith by itself, if it does not result in action, is dead. See, there's been a war, I believe, in the body of Christ over these two terms, works and faith. As if James and Paul were at odds with one another and not in unity with what they're saying. But I believe everything that they taught, what they said was in unity. We have to understand the times and who they were teaching. See, when Jesus came, he came and talk about, we talk about a culture war that we're seeing in our nation right now. Talk about bringing a culture war. Jesus brought the greatest culture war there probably has ever been. He came and he messed everything up. He came and flipped those tables, confronted those Pharisees and called them whitewashed tombs where you look all great on the outside, but your heart is evil and disgusting inside. And then he went to his disciples like Peter and he said, Satan, called Peter Satan and said, get behind me saying, for you are an offense unto me because Peter was trying to say, no, please, Lord, don't go to the cross. I need you to come and bring your kingdom here, thinking that Jesus came to sit on a throne here. And then he goes to those that were watching him do signs, miracles, and wonders that wanted to believe, people that were following him, but then began to question saying, wait, this man came from Nazareth? He's a carpenter. He came from Mary and Joseph. See, Jesus came and confronted everybody's opinions, everybody's ideas, everybody's beliefs, and he flipped everything upside down. Then he goes to a cross and he dies. So some are saying, was he the Messiah or not? But then he raises again three days later. So then people are testifying that he came. And then to really mix things up, 40 days later, he ascends into heaven and he says, go for it, disciples. You got this. Go tell everybody about me and so here you have Paul and you have James in the New Testament and some of the people are going back to their old ways to the religious ways following the law and the Pharisees and making sure that the people were doing really good works so that they would be saved and then on the other side we had the Christians that were believers in Jesus they had faith in him they believed in him. They experienced now the outpouring of the Holy Spirit because when Jesus ascended, he said, I'm, I'm leaving you with one that's better, your helper, your advocate, who's going to fill you and fill you with the gifts. So now the people that, like the Galatians, that are experiencing the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, they're being filled with the gifts of the Spirit. 
They're empowered by Jesus' spirit and his power, yet they're stagnant. They're doing nothing with the power that Jesus just paid the price for. So you see James and Paul going and confronting both sides. And so this is where we hear and we get confused in Ephesians 2.8 because Paul says it like this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing for it is the gift of God not a result of your works so that what none of us may boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them see we stop at verse 9 and we say no look look we're not saved by works we're saved by grace this is true Jesus it was his work that he did on the cross to save us salvation is a free gift for all of us but like I said, then he ascended. He went up into heaven to fill us with his power, with his spirit, with his gifts. So what? So now the price that he paid, so now the grace would be able to give us the faith to be, re to be able to receive the gifts, to walk in his power and his authority to expand kingdom territory. So let me read verse 10 again because we always love to quote our favorite verses and then stop. Because verse 10 says this, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. He did what he did so that we would accomplish good works. It says, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, it is by grace and through faith that we are saved. We are not saved by our works. Salvation is a free gift, yet we are called to walk in good works. We cannot be a stagnant church or a dead church with dead works and this is what James came to say in James 2 he continues on in verse 21 after he challenges and says can such a faith without work save him he says this in, in verse 21 oh foolish man do you want evidence that faith without deeds is worthless? Was not our father Abraham justified by what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith was working with his actions and his faith was perfected by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. As you can see, a man is justified by his deeds and not by faith alone. Or this word faith, when you study it, because there's about a million different Hebrew and Greek words for the word faith, it means not belief in Jesus alone. So our faith in God or our trust in God should ignite us to obey him or to do good works and deeds unto him. See, I believe that there has been in this last season a message of grace that is not truth, but it's really a perverted grace. And this message of grace, we have seen really in this season right now the fruit of this message of perverted grace. And I believe the body of Christ has to walk out to know um, 
exactly what he paid the price on the cross for because grace is not about staying in our sin that I'm saved by grace to do whatever I want. The, the works and the deeds that I do do not matter. No, this is a lie. This is, not, this is not the truth and word of God that sets us free. Jesus paid the price on the cross. The, God gave his only son so not that we would live in bondage, but so that we would live in freedom. Grace is the empowerment to overcome sin. Jude 1, 3 through 4 warns us of this type of grace that I believe we just saw preached to a generation that said young people come up to an altar and it doesn't really matter how you act, what you do. If you just ask Jesus into your heart today, it was a message that was void of repentance. It was a message that was void of truly turning our faith to Jesus. This is when in part number two that we don't just believe in him, but that what we trust or we turn our fear to Jesus that we put our fear our reverence and our honor on Jesus so Jude right here I believe it was a message for then and it's a message for now it says this beloved although I made every effort to write to you about the salvation we share I feel it necessary to write and urge you to contend earnestly for the faith he is saying contend earnestly for the faith entrusted once and for all the saints in this in this portion of scripture he is petitioning for their attention saying this is a serious matter in verse 4 for certain men have crept in among you unnoticed ungodly ones who were designated long ago for condemnation they turn the grace of our God into a license for immorality another version says it like this turns the grace of God into perverted grace and they deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ in verse 16 says this about these type of men that they are discontented grumblers following after their own lust their mouth spew arrogance and they flatter others for their own advantage See, this is a form of perverted grace that we have seen in conferences. The body of Christ is to say, once saved, always saved. How many know I can ask my, I can ask Jesus into my heart tonight and tomorrow go turn away from Jesus and choose every type of sin. Any of us can do that tomorrow. And if I die doing that sin Obviously, the mercy of God is beautiful, which is really what they've been preaching grace is. Mercy is undeserved kindness. That all of us are undeserving of the mercy of God. But if I go choose a lifestyle of sin, despite asking Jesus into my heart five years ago, does not mean I have a ticket into heaven. It is my life, my faith, my, my heart that is turned towards him and living a lifestyle that what? That the deeds, my deeds or my works justify my faith in Jesus. Or another word to say it is, or another way to say it is like this, that my works testify of who he is. See, Jude continues to say this in this portion of scripture. He's saying, let me give you an example of perverted grace to just take it a step further so you don't fall into this trap. 
He says, although you are fully aware of this, I want to remind you that after Jesus had delivered his people out of the land of Egypt, he destroyed those who did not believe. When you study this word believe again, it's talking about the deeds or the works that were not there in their belief that justified their faith. And then he goes into verse six to actually talk about their works to prove. It says, and the angels who did not stay with their own domain, but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he kept in eternal chains under darkness, bound for judgment on that great day. And in like manner, Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them who indulged in sexual immorality and pursued strange flesh are on display as an example of those who sustain the punishment of eternal life. Isn't it interesting that Sodom and Gomorrah was actually a territory that was expanded or given by God? It was a gift from God, yet they turned away and they began to embrace this lavish lifestyle of what the Bible is now calling out a perverted grace. He is now pointing out what? Their actions or their lifestyles that actually justified their lack of faith in God. Romans 6, 1 through 4, Paul says it like this. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sinning that grace can abound by no means how can we who die to sin still live in it just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father we too might walk in the newness of life church this is the price that he paid for is that our faith cannot just be a belief in him, but all of the sudden that our faith turns to him, that we begin to trust. And when we begin to trust in him, our lifestyle is full of good works that glorify him. And you wanna know what happens when all of the sudden your eyes and your gaze stay on Jesus and you're living a, a life of good works that glorifies him. You're walking, living, testifying of Jesus. And all of a sudden you're looking around and saying, oh, where did that temptation go? Oh, where, where did that sin, where did that generational curse go? Because no longer are my eyes on yesterday. No longer are my eyes on the things he paid for. My eyes are on the one who paid already the price. See, you are saved by his wonderful grace, which comes through faith that activates the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to overcome sin, not to settle in it. It's by grace through faith that we cannot tell a generation or a congregation that we are saved by saying one prayer of their faith. Our faith is not truly turned to Jesus. So how do we know if our faith is truly turned to Jesus? By our works. Church, does your works, do your works glorify him? People are paying attention. In the holidays, at birthday parties, when you're telling them about the new church that you're going to, when you're telling them about being a believer and the day that Jesus set you free and what he's done in your life. And it doesn't mean that any man or woman is ever gonna live a perfect life because he's the only perfect one that has ever walked the face of this earth. But it does mean this, that your actions matter and testify louder of who he is than what your words do. As Christians, we have to walk out the freedom 
that he paid the price for. We have to walk out our Christianity and let our deeds testify of him. See, your works will either testify of the goodness and grace of Jesus or they will testify against him. See, our works can be so horrific at time as Christians by slandering, by gossiping, by cursing one another. The people will look at our lives and say, that's somebody that's been set free by Jesus? No, thank you. And they can take a look at our life by what comes out of our mouth, who we are as fathers, as mothers, as daughters, as sons, as sisters, as brothers, and say either, wow, I want what they have or no, thank you. Do your works testify of how good he is? Because faith should propel us to put our trust in Jesus and not just in Jesus, but in his Holy Spirit. See, with salvation through faith comes relationship with the Holy Spirit and the promise of the Holy Spirit comes with his gifts that empowers us to do good works that expand kingdom territory. Galatians 3.14 says this, that he redeemed us in order that the blessing promised to Abraham would come to the Gentiles in Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. In this portion of scripture, when it says the Spirit, it's actually, it says it differently instead of Holy Spirit, it says the Spirit because it is talking about the complete being of the Holy Spirit. So not just his presence, but his gifts. I believe that this is the reason why the body of Christ is so attacked by the religious spirit and we are gonna get free of the religious spirit tonight because the religious spirit is a stronghold in this city that is coming down. Man, I tell you, on our way here tonight, we just turned up worship music in the car and we began to pray against the religious spirit, that stronghold, I'm telling you, it is coming down in this city. And this is why some of us think that we get exhausted in our faith. Look, our faith in Jesus is never exhausting. Our faith in Jesus is what says, I don't have to carry this. I don't have to carry this heavy burden. It's his burden because his yoke is easy and light. See, it's religion that comes in with a mask of faith that makes you weary that says he's not answering, he doesn't hear you. Keep working harder for your salvation. It's the spirit of religion that exhausts people of their faith in Jesus, not realizing it's not their faith in Jesus. Because he's a good and perfect king that loves his sons and daughters. It's a religious spirit that we're gonna deal with in a little bit. And this is what James was talking about when he was talking about dead works or a dead faith. And really what we have seen in this last couple of years and even historically is a dead church. Because the church has rejected the Holy Spirit. The church has rejected having faith in the Holy Spirit or for the gifts of the Spirit. The church has rejected prophecy. The church has rejected speaking in tongues and distinguishing between spirits and miracles, signs and wonders. In fact, we actually see this in Matthew when Jesus, it says when he was entering his hometown, 
He said, even a prophet cannot be honored in his own, in his own town. But then it says this, that he did no miracles, signs, or wonders because why? They lacked faith in him. Listen to me right now. The presence of God is so beautiful at Mercy Culture Waco. And the temptation is going to be this. For you to take the presence, the freedom that is in this place for granted. They had Jesus in their hometown. They woke up where Jesus woke up. They ate meals where Jesus ate meals. They, they walked the same hills and along the Sea of Galilee right where Jesus walked. They had his presence all the time, yet they said, how can we believe in this one that is from here? They took him for granted. Therefore, what? Because they lacked faith in him, then what? The gifts could not prevail. It says no miracle signs or wonders took place. Their lack of faith in him cut off the miracle signs and wonders so many of them were desperate for. I believe a spirit of religion has come to attack your faith so that the miracle signs and wonders that you are believing for do not happen. And then you want to know what that spirit says. Look at, he's not answering you. He doesn't hear you. All the while, it's a demonic spirit coming to oppress you that Jesus just wants breakthrough to say, come and just daily encounter me. Come just spend time to me, with me. Don't you know I tore that veil so that you can hear from me every single day, so you can spend time in my presence every single day, so that you can be filled with every single gift, not just one gift, not just two gifts, but every single gift. Come on, how many times do we hear the body of Christ pick and choose like a five-year-old at a birthday party what gift they want? Which one suits them? Which one is their favorite? When 1 Corinthians 12 says, I came to give all of the gifts to everyone. We are supposed to ask for all of the gifts. And this is a vision that I actually had. I had a vision of the body of Christ with this tool belt. And in the back of the tool belt was all of the gifts. And there was a thick layer of dust on the gifts. Believe this is why so many of us have felt dead in our faith and that we try to blame it on our pastors and leaders and why the church isn't, you know, moving in the gifts of, the, uh, of God, but are our households moving in the gifts of the spirit? Are we prophesying over our children? Are we believing for miracle signs and wonders in our house? When, when the enemy comes against us, are we grabbing our wife's or our husband's hand? Are we beginning to speak in tongues and push back at the enemy, declaring not one inch? Come on, it's time that we begin to operate. And this is what I saw as the body of Christ begin to wipe off that inch of dust. That inch of dust that had been sitting on the tools that are really the gifts, that are really weapons. He has given us weapons for the times that we are in. And it is time for the body of Christ. It is time for you sitting in this room to stop picking and choosing what gift is best for you. To move them to the front and say it's on. I'm done being a punching bag for the enemy. I'm done having my teenagers and my children be a punching bag for the enemy. It's time to expand kingdom territory.
See, if their lack of faith in him could stop the free gifts, it means that your faith can activate all of the gifts in your life. It means it can activate prophecy. It can activate speaking in tongues. It can activate distinguishing between spirit. It can activate miracles. Do you know you don't need a pastor to lay hands on you for that miracle in your body? All you have to do is remind yourself of that scripture that says faith is small as a mustard seed. Faith that is small as a mustard seed. My faith pleases you, Lord, and you lay hands on yourself and you tell that cancer, that disease, that sickness, that mental illness to go in the name of Jesus. Galatians 3, 1 through 9 says this, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? He's coming saying it's time to wake up. It's not your works. It's not by your works that you receive the spirit, but it is by your faith that you receive the spirit that he then empowers you to do good works. And then he continues to say this, are you so foolish that after starting in the spirit, are you now finishing in the flesh? He is obviously talking to believers are you so foolish that after starting in the spirit, are you now finishing in the flesh? Have you suffered so much for nothing? If it was really for nothing, does God lavish his spirit on you and work miracles among you because you practice the law or because you hear and you believe because you have faith? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are sons of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and foretold the gospel to Abraham that all nations would be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham. The man of faith. The Bible says that Abraham's faith was justified by his works because his faith brought forth a good work, which was what? See, Abraham had believed his entire life for a son, his promised son, Isaac. Literally his entire life, he believed God for this promise. The Lord towards the end of his life finally gives him his promise, his son Isaac. And then the Lord says to him, now I want you to give him back and sacrifice him. Can you imagine that morning waking up? Sometimes we read scripture, we don't put ourselves, these are real men. Abraham had to wake up one morning and tell his son we're going for a hike up a mountain. Planning to what? To sacrifice his own son. He had to stop at the bottom of that mountain. God, I have faith in you. And every step that he took with his son by his side, having conversation, knowing what was about to take place at the top of that mountain. Can you imagine that every single step that he took, the enemy in his ear, what kind of a God would wait, make you wait your entire life to give you your promise? and then take it away from you. 
What kind of God would be that evil and cruel? Can you imagine the war as Abraham is holding on to his promise? The enemy waging war against his faith in one ear. But Abraham, every single time he took another step of faith, saying, God, do you see the work before me? Do you see the deed before me? Another step, Lord, and I'm proving to you. I am justifying to you that my my faith is in you whether you take my son or my promise or not and the bible says that his works justified his faith and so we know what happens at the end of the story that God brings a sacrifice where he doesn't have to sacrifice his son I believe so many of us have been on that road up the mountain where the enemy has been waging war in your mind about your family member that you've been believing for decades for, about that business that you've been asking God to bless, that you've been asking God to birth, those dreams that you've carried for so long and the enemy has been in your ear fighting against that faith. But I believe that there was a moment that Abraham had to believe, had to have remembered. Just a mustard seed as he's walking up a mountain. Wait, just a mustard seed of faith. I can speak to this mountain that I'm climbing up to be removed. See, Abraham had to recognize at some point, even though his faith was in God, that he knew that he owned the mountain. He was willing to climb up to prove and testify of how good his God is. Some of you have, have just recently, I felt prophetically tonight that you have been in a place where you have stopped on that mountain. You haven't gone backwards, but you've been questioning, do I keep going? Is this foolishness to keep going? But can I tell you, you have not even begun to operate in faith yet if you have not begun to take foolish footsteps. You will never accomplish anything in faith in God if it's easy for you to do in your own strength. That's not faith. Faith is when it takes not your own abilities, not your own talents, not your own gifts, but faith is when it takes him because that's when it testifies of how good he is. See, that's the time that we're in church that I believe that God is going to remove all the comfortable things. All the news, thank you, all those evil, evil heralds out there that just wants to put fear, nonsense, and lies constantly. And you're going to have to choose who are you going to believe? Who are you going to follow? Who is your faith or your fear going to be in? And remind yourself of that mustard seed of faith that lives within you. Worship team, will you come up? See, I believe that the church, isn't it interesting that in COVID, all of the sudden good works was taken from us. Or some of us, I should say. The war was waged on how do we care for our neighbor? 
tell you that Jesus never isolated himself from a sick person. It's funny, like where, where from when I was a kid, the WWJD bracelets, where did those go during COVID? Because what would Jesus do? He went into those camps. He healed everybody. In fact, he went into towns and it says that not just a few were healed, everyone was healed. And some of us might say, oh, Heather, that that was Jesus that you're talking about. That was a perfect example. Uh, have you ever heard of John 14, 11 through 14? It says this, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And wait, hold on. And even greater works will they do because I am going to the Father. He's saying over the church today in 2022, you will operate in greater miracles, signs, and wonders than even Jesus. And if Jesus went into towns and everybody was healed, can you imagine just this room? Just this room. What you could do walking into some graduation parties this year. Some of us, some of us laugh in faith and some of us are like, wow, I don't think that could ever happen. But you're going to believe it by the end of the night because the gift of faith is going to fall on you tonight. Because the bride that Jesus is coming back for. Can we just hold off for one second? The bride that Jesus is coming back for is not a stagnant bride, is not a weak and powerless, passionless bride. He is coming back for a great harvest of souls. That's what he's waiting on a return for. And church, who do you think is preparing a great harvest of souls for him? This room the body of Christ, his sons and daughters. I believe that tonight, if you receive this gift of faith, that you will have the faith to receive all of the gifts. And I believe, yes, I believe that John 14, 14 will be evident in your life that everywhere that you go, everywhere, even prophesied over you right now, Mercy Culture Waco, that everywhere that you go, not in this tent only, not on this property only, but Lord, I thank you that this will be a church that everywhere that they are, I just saw a baseball field. I see sports fields. That literally you going to your children's games in prophecy, healing, breaking out. So Father, I just thank you that right now your presence is here. See, when you can put your faith in him to heal somebody, church, do you know that you're testifying about Jesus? When you can put your faith in him to believe, to bring prophecy to your unbelieving family, do you know that you're testifying about Jesus? When you can put your faith in him to bring wisdom and solutions to injustice, you are testifying about Jesus. When you can put your faith in him to believe for the gift of speaking in tongues and pray in the spirit, worship in the spirit, you are testifying of Jesus. When you can put your faith in him to believe for miracles for your family, for your city, for our government, you 
see works are not bad church works of faith testify of how good our king is so i came to ask you tonight do you believe that anything is possible with god come on that was louder than i think the nine o'clock mercy culture forward i would ask again anyways do you believe anything is possible with god faith is already here the gift of faith is already here come on stand to your feet stand to your feet this evening see this is what faith will do faith will confront fear faith will confront religion this is how I feel we're supposed to start off tonight first some of you I began to minister when I began to take those steps up the mountain and you said that has been me Heather that has been me where the enemy has been waging war on my faith in Jesus I just feel like we're supposed to start off repenting let's just repent repent where doubt came in repent where fear came in repent where religion opinions man some of us went to a plan B when the Lord spoke to you plan A but you said how am I going to accomplish that and in this amount of time with this amount of finances God I don't have the resources and I'm seeing it again I saw it and mercy culture forward but I just saw the vision again Wow the enemy came with a silver platter and you didn't know it was the enemy of the or it was the hand of the enemy but he reached out a silver platter and it had that plan B on it and you thought to yourself I can accomplish that I can wrap my mind around that surely I can grasp enough resources for that this is what the Lord wants to do right now in your repentance moment is he wants to shatter that silver platter he wants to shatter that doubt that fear that came in came in to interrupt interrupt an intimate place that the Lord wants to do in you see this is what the Lord does he'll come in and he'll come in to test our faith like he did Abraham and he doesn't come in to test our faith because he's a mean God he comes to test because he has good gifts waiting on the other side see he knew that Abraham wasn't meant to just be the father of Isaac but he was meant to be the father of more sons than the stars were in the sky so God had to prepare him for the greatness that Abraham didn't see so Lord tonight we repent we repent to you oh God for taking the plan B's I just felt the joy of the Lord whisper and say, encourage my sons and daughters in the room tonight. That my plan A, my gold platter is still there. He said, his mercy is new every morning. So Father, even as your people repent in this moment, Lord, I ask for a supernatural turnaround. Lord, I ask, I just felt literally faith rise in me in the next 24 hours. Lord, I ask for miracles, signs, and wonders. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Some of you are going to remember this night when 24 hours later, the Lord did what he promised. 
your dreams being too small. The Lord said that your expectations have not been God expectations. You have not dreamt. Wow. I feel this on the staff and the leadership of Mercy Culture Waco as, long, as well as everybody else in this room. That your expectations in this, in this season, have not been God expectations. Wow. It's beyond what you can ask, what you can think, what you can imagine. So sometimes you don't know what to ask. Sometimes you don't know how to pray. And the best thing you can pray is, Lord, let your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. So, Lord, we declare tonight, Lord, we just exchange, we give up our ideas, our expectations, Father. We don't want to offend you by asking or praying. But the Lord just say some of you have been praying prayers that haven't been answered because the Lord is challenging you to ask bigger and then you would receive the smaller things that you're asking for. So even right now, Lord, I thank you that you are shattering. Like some of you have prayed for a person in your family's salvation and the Lord is saying, why haven't you asked me for legacy? Why haven't you asked me for the next couple of generations? Why haven't you asked me for your second cousins, your aunts, your uncles? Why haven't you asked me for your entire family? Why haven't you asked me for a city? Why haven't you asked me for your neighborhood? So right now, Lord, I just thank you right now that you are interrupting small prayers, that you are interrupting. The Lord says it's not about small faith. You can have small faith that speaks to a mountain. It's small dreaming and it's small asking, says the Lord. So Lord, tonight we lay at the altar. Some of you might need to lay physically at this altar. Either you or drop some things at this altar that says, I am getting rid of my small mindsets, my poverty mindsets, my small thinking that's not God dreaming. Come on. And would you just come down and would you drop it at the altar? Would you leave it at the altar? And Lord, as they come, I ask that tonight that there would be an exchange, oh God, a supernatural exchange where God, Dreams would fall on your people, oh God. I declare God expectations would fill their world. 